sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to hour number two, live on this Wednesday, right here on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM, channel 159. It's the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network as well. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday. A stacked second hour for you. Next, we'll check in around the association with our producer here in the morning, the mornings, excuse me, and a basketball aficionado. John Shames. Then we'll look at the World Cup, the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar with the Americans qualifying out of the group stage into the round of 16. What still lays ahead for the U.S. and what needs to change after the group stage has come to a close? We'll do that with FanDuel's Julie Stewart-Banks. And speaking of FanDuel's, John Rothstein will join us to end out this second hour. It's a huge week in college hoops, changes to the AP pool. The ACC Big Ten Challenge continues on. More key matchups across the sport. And a reminder, this is only November, at least for the final day of this month. And it's a big week. It's a big month. It will be a big month upcoming in December in the world of sports. From a golf perspective, it was supposed to be huge as well. We haven't seen Tiger Woods on the golf course in a very long time we will see a ton of him in december we thought we were going to see three straight weekends of action on the links for tiger woods that is not necessarily going to be the case tiger woods is the host of the hero world challenge a small event in the bahamas featuring some of the best golfers in all of the world and tiger was supposed to be a competitor within the field in addition to his hosting duties but because of an injury to his right foot, Tiger Woods is not playing this week on the course. Tiger releasing a statement early this week saying, quote, in my preparation and practice for this week's Hero World Challenge, I have developed plantar fasciitis in my right foot, which is making it difficult to walk. After consulting with my doctors and trainers, I've decided to withdraw this week and focus on my hosting duties. My plan is to compete in the match and the PNC Championship. And that is the interesting and ever important wrinkle. Tiger Woods is scheduled to play in the match seven coming up next weekend. A star-studded event in golf where Tiger will play with Rory McIlroy, Justin Spieth, and Jordan Thomas. Excuse me, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. I knew that sounded weird. Will face off against those two heavy hitters as well. So Tiger is going to play next weekend in the match seven and the weekend following that. The delight to all of us in the PNC Championship, alongside his son, Charlie Woods. And Charlie's a heck of a golfer as well. So that is the plan for Tiger Woods moving forward. It's more about that right foot as Tiger recovers from the injuries that he suffered in that car accident about two years ago. He can hit whatever shot you want, Tiger said yesterday at a press conference. He just can't walk all that well at this moment. So maybe a golf cart for the match or at least the PNC Championship. And because Tiger is still there this week in the Bahamas, he was speaking yesterday ahead of his hosting duties for the Hero World Challenge. Tiger saying this when it came to the relationship between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Series. 
Um, but I think Greg has to go, first of all, and, and then obviously the litigation against us and then our countersuit against them. Um, those would then have to be at a stay as well. So then, then we can talk. We can all talk freely. So Tiger echoing what a lot of PGA Tour golfers have said throughout the ongoing drama with the Live Golf Series. Hey, welcome to our Sports Grid radio audience here. The second hour of the morning after, live all across the grid. Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. I am Ben Stevens. So we will see a ton of Tiger Woods, even if he is not in action on the golf course, a part of the field at the Hero World Challenge this weekend in the Bahamas. But he is expected to play in a match this upcoming next weekend and in the PNC Championship alongside his son, Charlie Woods. It is a parent-kid golf tournament. It will be incredible to watch just from that nostalgia perspective, right here near the holidays. But as we get going, the Hero World Challenge, one of the bigger events we will see that has a connection with the PGA Tour. Some really big names in this field this week in the Bahamas. John Rahm is the short favorite at plus 470. Scotty Scheffler, not far behind, plus 750. Tony Finau, 9-1. to Xander Shoffley, 10-1. to And Matthew Fitzpatrick, 12-1, to alongside Justin Thomas as they round out the top five best prices again JT excuse me it is Justin Thomas I said Jordan Thomas earlier Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth will face off the plan is at least that against Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods in the match next weekend and then following that the PNC championship Tiger Charlie the Woods team facing off in a great great event and just to echo what Tiger was saying there in the introductory press conference for the Hero World Challenge this week in the Bahamas when asked about that ongoing relationship and the tension between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Series. When Tiger says Greg, that means Greg Norman, who is the chairman, the CEO, whatever you want to call it, for Live Golf, the commissioner, if there is even one for a, sh uh, a, a sham of a golf event and series. So that is the idea. Because there has been so much hostility between Live Golf, spearheaded by Greg Norman, and the PGA Tour, if you were to get out of the way, maybe that mending process in the relationship can start to take place. Tiger has been a big, big figurehead for the PGA Tour in an active vote for how great the tour is alongside Rory McIlroy. All right, that does it for our golf talk here on this Wednesday. We check in around the association with our very own John James up next, live right here on The Morning End. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you know one thing about the morning after live right here on SportsGrid, it's that we love our alliteration. So when it's Wednesday, it's a wacky Wednesday. When it's a tangy Tuesday, that's exactly what it is. It is wacky Wednesday right now. We bring on our producer, John Shames, one of the foremost basketball minds Ooh. on this entire Spiz Grizz network. He's doing some kind of motion there, I think, to display like wacky, wacky Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of sounded spooky, Shames. It's not okay. the end of October. Spooky it's the end of November, it. though. True, true. That is a good point, Ben. I am still full from my Thanksgiving meal. So, uh, you know, a, a different, similar result as, as the day after Halloween when I was two stomachs full worth of candy. But 
you know, I'm getting a little mixed up here. But Wacky Wednesday, it doesn't matter what month it is. It's always Wacky Wednesday when it is Wednesday. And that's what we got right here right now, Benjamin. And some wackiness for the Minnesota Timberwolves, at least some disappointing news at the very least. An injury update to Carl Anthony Towns, who left the game earlier this week and had to be helped to the locker room. Timberwolves star, as Sham Sharania is reporting, Carl Anthony Towns is expected to miss several weeks with his calf strain, sources tell him and another athletic reporter. Great news, though, for the Timberwolves. Tests showed no structural damage to Towns' Achilles. So he will miss several weeks. The timetable in other places, Shames, has made it seem like it will be four to six weeks. How disappointing has this season been for the T-Wolves, who had some optimism entering this new NBA year? Yeah, Ben, a lot of optimism for the Timberwolves coming into the year, and they've been struggling, and Carl Anthony Towns has also been struggling. Of course, we expected the Timberwolves with Rudy Gobert to kind of take some of that defensive pressure off of Carl Anthony Towns, let him focus on being that superstar offensive player that he is every year, but only averaging about 20 points per game this season, down from his average last season of about 24 points per game. So we're seeing Carl Anthony Towns clash with Rudy Gobert on the offensive end and Anthony Edwards as well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do think that there is definitely some concern right now if you're the Timberwolves because, A, you're missing your arguably best player right now for the next month or so. But, B, you're already struggling to begin with. This team is only 10 and 11 right now. And as Shams reported yesterday, their odds to win the division, their odds to win the NBA championship, both doubling with the news of this injury, about plus 1,000 to win their division now. The Nuggets seem like the runaway there. And to win the NBA Finals, plus 8,000. So, uh, not uh, you know, not a good result here for the Minnesota Timberwolves to start off the season, and we hate to see Carl Anthony Towns going down with an injury like this. And you can see those odds to win the West, thirty-six to one right now for the T Wolves, the ninth best price in the Western Conference. A quick aside here, John Shames, when you see yeah. Sham Sharania reporting something on social media, do you ever get confused? You're like, oh no, that's not me. So I actually, in my group chat, my NBA group chat, my name has been Shames Sharania for a couple of years now. It's too good to change it. A lot of people like updating it every year, but it's just such a layup, dude. I got to keep it. Bocce, our, our associate producer, Bocce, when he goes to text me, he, he almost texts Shams a bunch of times, he said. So it's a classic mix-up, but, you know, this, it's just me. It's just me, John Shames, you know? <laughs> Just this guy right here. Come on, it's still John, Shames. But Shames, you got We thought the Minnesota Timberwolves, like you mentioned, a game below 500 would be better than this at this point of the year. Out West, we've seen a wacky start to the season on a wacky Wednesday. But some teams that were surprising to start have cooled off a little bit, like the Sacramento Kings, like the Utah Jazz, like the Portland Trailblazers. So when you evaluate the Western Conference at this moment, where do you think the value lies? Yeah, so I'm looking at chalk here, Ben. I do think the Phoenix Suns are the team to beat right now. Of course, they are coming off of a very disappointing postseason result last year, but they were right in it until game seven collapsed the Phoenix Suns there. So I think at plus 310 right now, that's definitely, you know, it's, it's the shortest price on the board as we can see, but it makes a right. lot of sense to me. The Warriors have been struggling. They're especially struggling on the road right now. I think the Nuggets do have some value at plus 600 because we know that they've been able to get it done in the postseason as well, made it to the Western Conference Finals in that bubble season. And Jamal Murray, of course, is one of the best postseason players in the NBA. So as he continues to round into form, they are a team to watch. But if I had to make a pick right now, I would take the Phoenix number.
A big FanDuel day here on this Wacky Wednesday on the morning after. They must have been listening to the show yesterday because we were discussing who should be the rightful favorite out West at this point of the year. The Phoenix Suns were behind the Warriors yesterday. The Dubs plus 330, their same price, but Phoenix was plus 370. Now they're the favorites by themselves, 20 cents in head of Golden State at plus 310. Speaking of the Warriors, John Shames, like you mentioned, they continue to struggle mightily on the road. Golden State is now just 2-10 away from San Francisco, losing yesterday in Dallas against the Mavericks, 116-113. The Mavs were a slight home underdog as well. And when Luka Doncic continues to do what he has done all year long, that is score 40 points and then add on a triple-double, his third 40-point triple-double this season, according to our stat man Joe Frizo, 41 for Luka last night, 12 boards, 12 dimes. James, when Luka is this good, what is the ceiling for the Dallas Mavericks? I think the Mavericks, it, they will go as far as Luka Doncic can take them because I don't believe that this is a very talented roster from top to bottom. You have a couple of bona fide scoring threats in Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm excited to see how Kemba Walker factors into this race, but mm. I do think so much is residing on the shoulders of Luka Doncic right now and really in the postseason last year that's what the case was as well they advanced to those Western Conference Finals because Luka Doncic beat the Phoenix Suns in game seven so you know when you have a player that 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 is that transcendent and that can uh, win a game by himself I think there is always you know some some value let's say on that team's ability to advance but I think that if you look at their roster from top to bottom and, and compare the depth to some of these other teams at the top of the Western Conference, I think that you know they're, uh, they're, they don't have that same level of depth. So a lot of it does reside on Luka, Ben. Luka still a co-favorite for that MVP award alongside Giannis, both plus 280, but it seems kind of like a two-man race, except for one Jason Tatum, who is not far behind at plus 350, only 70 cents behind both of those players, the third best odds, Jason Tatum, Plays for the best team in the NBA. The Boston Celtics, John James, your team, 17-4. and four, By far the best record in the association here, about a fourth of the way through this NBA season. A rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals inside TD Garden tonight. The season, nine-and-a-half-point favorite, John, against the Miami Heat. Can Boston keep it rolling with a statement game against Miami this evening? I don't see why not. The Boston Celtics are 10 and 1 at home this season. They've been absolutely mm. dominant. They've really been blowing teams out in those situations as well. They have the best offense in the NBA, a top or a top 15 or so defense in the NBA. And this is a Miami Heat team that really struggles to put up points and especially in a road situation, I don't have a lot of faith in Miami coming in and knocking off the Celtics. Nine and a half, a big number. I wouldn't normally lay that, but I do think the Celtics are playing well enough. And behind the play of Jason Tatum, who should be the MVP favorite in my eyes, best player on the best Whoa. team, averaging 30 points per game on 50% shooting. I mean, let's not overthink this one, Ben, seriously. But I think Jason Tatum will continue powering the Celtics right now. The Heat do not have an answer for JT. I expect the Celtics to keep it rolling tonight, covering that 9.5 point spread. The Heat... The Heat have moved back to the sixth best price in the Eastern Conference at 12 to 1. The Celtics have become the clear front runner at 2 to 1, but only 40 cents ahead of the Bucks. James, you can see there, it's Milwaukee and Boston, the top two spots. And then a little bit farther back, you see the Brooklyn Nets and the Cleveland Cavaliers. In your mind, is it a clear distinction of the two top teams in the Eastern Conference? 
I think the top two, there's, there's not a lot of doubt that the, the Celtics and the Bucks are the top two teams in the conference. I think the Celtics are actually significantly better than Milwaukee right now. I think they are the best mm. team in the NBA by a decent margin here. But if I look at that board, the one team that does have some good value in my mind is the Philadelphia 76ers. They're 11 Woo! to 1 right now. And, and, you know, they're expecting their stars and Tyrese Maxey and James Harden to come back at some point. They'll get some chemistry and some reps in the regular season. I'm expecting the, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers to make some noise here. And as you see right there, a big matchup for Philly on the road in Cleveland tonight. Joel Embiid has been sensational. His 30-and-a-half points prop goes alongside his 10-and-a-half rebounding prop as well. John Shames, thank you as always. More of the morning after. Wacky Wednesday. Wacky! SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A winner-go-home moment for Team USA yesterday at the 2022 World Cup, and that's exactly what the Americans did. A 1-0 victory in a matchup against Iran sends the Americans out of the group and in to the knockout round of the 2022 World Cup. We break it down here live on a Wednesday morning on the morning after on SportsGrid with FanDuel's Julie Stewart-Binks. She joins us here on TMA to recap what happened yesterday in the final match of the group stage for the U.S. men's national team and also set the stage moving forward into the round of 16 against the Netherlands. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on this Wednesday. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is a this is a good conversation that we can have about the U.S. because those final couple minutes, at least in the second half and then into stoppage time, were definitely very, very nerve-wracking if you were hoping for the U.S. to win. So they were able to hang on against Iran, and now they're through to face the Netherlands, which will be another very interesting matchup. A grueling second half. And Julie, we knew the game script for Greg Berhalter and company. They had to win. They had to score goals. And that's what Christian Pulisic did in the 38th minute off the assist for Serginho Dest. And he finds the back of the net for Captain America on the biggest stage, literally giving up his body and his pelvis. He has a pelvis contusion to find that opening and only goal of the match for the U.S. men's national team. So, Julie, they scored in that opening half. Looked like they had a second with Tim Weah that was called back because of offsides. And then a very dicey final 45-plus minutes as they tried to hold on for that 1-0 victory. So, Julie, how would you describe the 90-plus minutes, including stoppage time, and the emotions we all went through yesterday? Well, I feel like we went through all these different emotions because it was a tale of two halves, as people have been saying. Just the first half, U.S. dominated. They were so strong and aggressive, and they came out with their game plan. And we knew that Iran was going to try to sit back and have that low block, which is something that is difficult for the U.S. to try to break down. But they were able to get through and able, of course, you mentioned Christian Pulisic school. He was just, he was on fire. Like, he was the guy that we've all wanted him to be, and he was able to connect and make that ball go in. And, of course, he did it sacrificing his body parts, and and now we're just hoping, even though he said that he's feeling okay and ready to go for the match on Saturday. Lots of players say that kind of stuff. We don't know necessarily what his fitness level is, so we'll have to see in terms of that. But then you have the second half where, 
with the substitutions that were made, Greg Berhalter decided to go for more of a defensive approach. And so mm-hmm. uh, the subs that came in in the 82nd minute, Walker Zimmerman, I mean, he saved the U.S. because that ball got through Matt Turner and it almost was a 1-1 game. And so for him making that save, which sort of, I think, made up in a way for the fact that he he was – he. Uh, you know, got that penalty for Gareth Bale, basically, for them to equalize. And the first match, he sort of made up for that error, was that they then just had to absorb Iran's press. And Iran has been so good in the second half of like, every match. That's where they sort of, like, come to life and are able to really break down other teams, um, play between the lines, open up teams, stretch them out. And that's why we see nine minutes of stoppage time. And you're like, oh, gosh, like, this is going to go on forever. And they honestly they could have they could have equalized in that match and so i think it was a bit of a risky play to decide to go so defensively as early as the u.s did knowing that their star striker had gone off with injury i can see maybe why berhalter was deciding to play more of a defensive scheme but when you do that you really risk the fact that like if you're not going to add another goal you certainly can't concede one Absolutely so. That final nine plus minutes of stoppage time was probably the most stressed out I have ever been watching a sporting event ever. And Julie, when we look at the guy that scored the goal for the Americans in that opening half, Christian Pulisic has been the future. He's been the hope. He's been the optimism of American soccer since he was able to pretty much drive a car. So for him to score that goal, the only goal in a game that sends the Americans through to the round of 16. How special was that moment on the sport's biggest stage for Christian Pulisic? For him, it was everything. Christian Pulisic has come under fire in this World Cup, in potentially qualifying, not necessarily a game against Panama where he had a, what, a hat trick or something like that, but he's been, everyone's put so much pressure on him being the star, the LeBron James of soccer. And I think that when we saw him not being able to capitalize on a number of set pieces, on opportunities from open play in the first two matches, and just it, it felt as though we maybe put too much pressure on this kid to be the guy, and he wasn't the guy. And so I think for him to come out and be the guy, be the one person to put the ball in the back of the net, did a lot for him, did a lot for the U.S., did a lot for his confidence, and even for his future with club and whatever club that might be, there's interest from Manchester United. He's been with Chelsea the last four years, but hasn't been seeing regular playing time. So this did a lot for the young Pulisic for the U.S. And just seeing his response afterward when he was at the team hotel and they all came back. And I put it on Twitter, but I was like, he felt like a stage mom. Like he's filming all of them coming in. And and it was so sweet. Like it was just like a really sweet moment. He's the one that won the game for them, really, in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. But, like, he was just so excited for all of them. So I think it was really great for him and for the U.S. He's only 24 years old, is Pulisic, but he feels like the elder statesman of the second youngest roster at the World Cup. Tim Weah runs up to him in that video shared out on social media when the U.S. team arrives back at their hotel. I'm like, Tim, don't hug him too hard, man. The guy has his pelvis contusion. We need him on Saturday morning against the Netherlands. So let's look quickly back, Julie, at the overall sense for this U.S. side during the group stage. Only two goals scored. Two draws, but they won the game they absolutely needed to advance into the round of 16. So how would you sum up the Americans' effort in the group stage? 
I think it's, first of all, you made it through the group. That's really all that you were wanting to be able to do here. I thought that their attack would have been a little bit more clinical. I thought that they would have been able to capitalize more on their chances heading into this particular group and seeing how they played in a number of games. It felt like there was a, a few missed opportunities for being able to obviously put the ball in the back of the net. And sometimes it felt like they were superstars that not necessarily had the same kind of chemistry as maybe other teams that we see. I look at South American teams, right? When we watch in Argentina or Brazil or Spain or any of these, these really elite teams that, that just have such great um, foresight and being able to understand like two passes ahead where the, their, their teammates going to be. And it felt like the U S wasn't necessarily playing like that. And so that being said, all you needed to do was get the points to get through, get them in any way you can but now you're going to be facing a side that is very technically sound, has one of the best coaches in the world with Louis van Gaal head, heading them up. And so I think that they will be tested, but I wouldn't have my expectations too high for this match for the U.S. I think the fact that they were able to get through their group would be a win in itself and in the way that they held on. And it kind of felt like this like super emotional win is, is huge for this country and for soccer in this country. Cause you saw all these NFL players were tweeting about Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Everyone in the world was, was watching it. And even looking at my Twitter timeline, I'm seeing people wearing jerseys talking about soccer that normally would poo poo that and never talk about it. So like that's a win in itself in this country. It sets up a huge Saturday of football or soccer here in the States. 10 a.m. Eastern time, kick in the knockout stage for the Americans against the Dutch. The Netherlands right now, Julie, on FanDuel, a minus 245 heavy favorite to win this game outright against the U.S. men's national team. But if there is to be an upset for the Americans, what will be the key leading to that victory? Honestly, you got to bring in Gio Reyna. I know that we have said this time and time again, and people who are out there probably like, who is this Gio Reyna? Well, you know, he was ranked in FIFA's top under-23 players, number three in the World Cup. We have seen only nine minutes of him so far. This is a stat that I saw on ESPN. Give credit to them. The fact that we haven't seen him so far makes you just wonder why, and especially if Christian Pulisic, we're not sure just how how much he can give, how long he can go. You need to see a guy that is this clinical, this creative in this match. And I think he can really help change your attack. That being said, if Berhalter likes what he's seen from his group so far, which you could like it, I think it can be better, though, is you want to see Reyna in there. You want to see Aronson, of course. He came on in the second half. Timothy Weah, and we'll see what the status and health of uh, Weston McKinney is too. Because a lot of these guys have a lot of miles on them and minutes over the last three matches. So it's not like, I said this the other day, it's not like you can just like throw them out there and they're always going to be 100%. Like you get tired after playing that that much time. So I think that uh, uh, they're going to have their work cut out for them, be able to shut down Cody Gakpo. He has been phenomenal for the Netherlands and being able to, Mark Virgil van Dyke in the box because we all know we've seen what he's done with Liverpool. He can really he can really kill you with the header. Julie, only a minute left in this segment. Action continues at the World Cup today, already underway and big games later this afternoon. Argentina, after allowing the biggest upset in the history of the World Cup, still has work to do to qualify out of the group stage. They take on Poland today. They are favored to get the win outright. What do you expect in this match between Argentina and Poland? 
Yeah, I think Argentina wins this one. Poland's just going for a draw, so you can expect them to be a bit more defensive, sit back, and they've allowed so many shots. Even when they lost, or excuse me, when they won against Saudi Arabia, they allowed 16 shots. So Argentina has been shooting the ball a ton. And if you're looking for a bet, Argentina has had over 15, or average 15 shots in four of their last five matches. So I would take the over on 14 and a half shots. And just Messi feels like a different player. The fact that they have the weight off their shoulders with the Mexico match and the win, I feel as though Argentina will be able to get this done and keep going. Poland qualifies with a win or a draw. Argentina with a win or a draw, unless Saudi Arabia beats the Mexican side as well. Julie Stewart-Binks, thank you so much for your time. More the morning after. Up next. Thanks for having me. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back right here on the morning after, live on this Wednesday on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 159. I am Ben Stevens. Following a huge feast week in college basketball this week, not too shabby as well. The ACC Big Ten Challenge, the Big 12 Big East Showdown as well. Huge games with marquee programs all across the country in college basketball. And if we're talking college hoops, Live right here on the morning after, FanDuel's John Rothstein joins the show as well. He's also covering college hoops with the best of them at CBS Sports. Today, John, is the final day in the month of November. For the entirety of this CBB season, you have said this is only November. When the calendar flips tomorrow to December, will it also be this is only December when we see craziness in college basketball? That will be the theme, Ben, and I want to point out that last night during the Virginia-Michigan game when things got really tight down the stretch, I also tweeted, this is almost December. So I think, you know, even though this is your first question, even though it is a rainy Wednesday in New York, the old adage remains true. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Look at you. You're always spry with the times, John Rothstein. So let's start there. A huge matchup in the ACC Big Ten Challenge last night in Ann Arbor. Michigan in control for a lot of that basketball game before UVA comes back late and the defense under Tony Bennett shine once again. Virginia gets a close road victory against the Wolverines. John, what was your main takeaway uh, from what you saw last night in Ann Arbor? Well, Ben Vanderplas has completely changed the complexion of Virginia because now we have a Virginia team that can beat you with great offense and manufacturing points on that end of the floor. But, Ben, I look at this from a different lens when I think about the big picture theme. You know, we're seeing so much roster turnover in college basketball now. Virginia is tangible proof that the most important players to recruit are the players that remain in your own program. Virginia returned five starters from last season's team that won over 20 games. Didn't get to the NCAA tournament, but did reach the postseason NIT, won a game late in the year at Duke, and the results are quite obvious. You have a Virginia team right now that a day before the start of December already has wins at Michigan, neutral site wins against Illinois and Baylor, and still will get an opportunity to play Houston during the non-conference portion of its schedule. That is the team that has an inside track to a one or two seat in the NCAA tournament. 
This looks like a classic Virginia team under Tony Bennett. Four of those five starters last night for the Wahoos scoring in double figures. Five in total for UVA last night, led by Reese Beekman with a team-high 18 points. Now, John Rothstein, as I was telling you during the commercial break, I had a small surprise for you here on this Wednesday on the morning after. You have your saying for the Dark Knight. Here we go. Heath Ledger, the Dark Knight, 2008. <laughs> I came up with my own last night as it pertains to my alma mater, the Syracuse Orange in their men's basketball program led by Jim Beheim. In the wise words of yeah. Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, 2008, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That is my assessment of Jim Beheim at the helm of this program right now. Syracuse basketball is Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim is Syracuse basketball. But I think it's time for a change, John, as was evident last night in a 29-point loss on the road in Champaign against the 16th-ranked Illini. 73-44 the final. Illinois easily covering as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. So, John, that is my assessment of Syracuse. What is yours? Well, I think you have to go a little bit deeper here. Not that I didn't enjoy your Harvey Dent reference, although I would prefer Thank The you. Dark Knight Rises over The Dark Knight or Batman Begins. But, you know, I don't know if we can extend really? the show past its normal ending point. But, you know, if okay. you and John Shames are a fantastic and talented producer willing to do so, I can give you my two cents on The Dark Knight and its trilogy. <laughs> Anyways, getting back to Syracuse, I think we have to look bigger here at what's happened since this program has joined the ACC. Now, for a lot of different reasons, you know, we don't really look at the ACC as being something that has really hampered Syracuse basketball, but it truly has been when you think about this. I mean, Syracuse would, has been very average in conference play since it went to the ACC, but to Syracuse's credit, in 2016, they did not have a great seed in the NCAA tournament. They found a way to get to a Final Four. In 2018, they were in the play-in game and found a way to get to a Sweet 16. And in 2021, in the bubble, Syracuse also got to a Sweet 16. So the NCAA tournament runs and going to the second weekend three times in the Final Four once, I think have kind of masked the fact that Syracuse's yep. program has not been good in the ACC. You also have to take into consideration that Mike Hopkins' decision to leave for the University of Washington has really hurt this program in recruiting. I mean, the facts are the facts. Ten years ago, Syracuse had a starting perimeter of Michael Carter-Williams, James Sutherland, and Brandon Trish, and it had a starting four-man of C.J. Fair. The five-man, yep. Rakeem Christmas. Ten years later, things are a lot different, but... As you know, has how the theme goes. Syracuse needs a hero, just like Gotham needed a hero. There we go. I love that part as well. And John, I think it's a perfect summation of what we're seeing with SU at this moment. Those runs in the NCAA tournament do mask the bigger issues, but Syracuse has not been lower than a seven seed in the NCAA tournament in the last decade. It was my freshman year. We were a four seed knocking off IU on our run to a yeah. final Four. So, John, when you look at Illinois on the other side of that equation last night in Champaign, a 29-point victory for a team that now checks in at number 16 in the country. Coleman Hawkins, the big man for the Illini, eight last night in the transfer. Terrence Shannon, 17 points as well. What is the ceiling for this Illinois team as you look at the new AP poll this week? You know, Illinois to me is a team that, again, you know, should be able to compete for a Big Ten regular season title under Brad Underwood. And I think, you know, we have seen over the past couple of years that 
Brad Underwood has now earned the Matt Painter, Bo Ryan type status in the Big Ten, that as long as he's the head coach of Illinois, his team is going to be in play for a conference regular season title. And I didn't see Illinois being in position to be this good this early because of so many new pieces, because of the fact that Illinois did not return a double-figure score. But I think the biggest reason why you're seeing that is Terrence Shannon Jr. this season at Illinois is not the same player that he was the past couple of years at Texas Tech. He had his breakout game against UCLA in Las Vegas. We know about that. But I'm looking at the numbers this morning, Ben. Terrence Shannon Jr., last year at Texas Tech for the whole season, only made 33 three-point shots. He's already made 21 this season. He's not the same player he was at Texas Tech, and he is a player right now who's on a trajectory to be an All-American. It's a very good point and a huge component of what Illinois will look to do offensively this year. Showing that AP top 25 once again, John, big changes this week. Houston, the new number one. They haven't been ranked number one since the early 1980s. North Carolina was the number one team in the country all year long. They slide all the way back to 18th. Purdue moves up by 19 spots to number five. We saw Arizona take a big leak. UConn do the exact same. I do want to focus quickly here, John, on the team that is ranked sixth right now in the country, Baylor. They took on Marquette last night and got walloped by the Golden Eagles. What statement did Shaka Smart and Marquette make yesterday? Well, you know, I just talked to Shaka Smart about an hour ago, Ben, and, you know, Shaka feels that this team, for the first time in a decade of all the teams that he's coached, has an outstanding chance to get back to being the aggressor. And what I mean by that is when Shaka was building VCU's program, he built that program on the idea that his teams would always be taking the fight to their opponent. And then towards the latter days at VCU, that fight kind of dissipated because VCU became the bellwether of the Atlantic 10. And obviously the same was the case at Texas because he coached a borderline blue blood program. But what we saw last night from Marquette against Baylor was VCU on steroids. When you think about the fact that it was in the Big East Conference, it was part of the Big East Big 12 battle, and it was at Pfizer Forum. And I think now you have to look at Marquette as being a Big East team, along with Xavier, along with Creighton, and along with UConn as known commodities from that conference that will play in the NCAA tournament. And Ben, it's tough to think this way and look big picture in college basketball with everything that we see in terms of roster turnover. But every single player that contributed to Marquette's win last night over Baylor by 26 points is eligible to return to the Golden Eagles program next season. I think if we continue to see the growth and the forward progress from Marquette, we could see Shaka Smart setting that program up for a significant two-year run, and they've got a significant game as well this weekend. Marquette hosts Wisconsin in Milwaukee. The Golden Eagles, mm. if they win that game, will be in position to be in position. A battle of the state of Wisconsin, spotted cow for all. We mentioned North Carolina. John sliding down from number one all the way to 18th in the country. Two losses last week during Feast Week for the Tar Heels. The Big Ten ACC Challenge rolls on tonight in Bloomington between number 10 Indiana and number 18 North Carolina. Two of the Blue Bloods in this sport. John, what can we expect with IU a four and a half point favorite tonight at Assembly Hall? 
You know, I expect Indiana to play exceptionally well tonight. I expect Trace Jackson Davis to show the country just as he has, you know, an early game so far, especially when Indiana wanted Xavier, that he's a first-team All-American and he's one of the best players in the country. I'm curious to see how North Carolina performs and what's going to be a hostile atmosphere at Assembly Hall. Ben, you know, I've been on this beat now close to 20 years. The loudest building I have ever been in in all my years covering college basketball was Assembly Hall about 10 years ago. And I expect Assembly Hall to reach, you know, obviously comparable levels tonight. The interesting thing with North Carolina is this. We know that they returned four starters from last year's team that was a possession away from tying the national title game against Kansas, but missed a three-point shot late in the game. The rhythm, the chemistry, and the continuity, though, are very much in question. Then entering tonight's game, Against Indiana, North Carolina has a combined 84 assists to 84 turnovers as a team. And Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are combining to take over 51% of their shots. I see great talent. I don't see rhythm and chemistry yet. And I do believe firmly as well that North Carolina really misses Brady Manick. The last two games the Tar Heels played against Alabama and Iowa State, they were just 10 of 41 from downtown. The Hoosiers, John, remain the favorites in the Big Ten, plus 300, but close behind them. Illinois at 4-1, to one, co-favorites for that second-best price alongside Purdue at plus 400. The Boilermakers had a sensational feast week. They are now ranked fifth in the country. They take on Florida State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight. The Boilers a 15-and-a-half-point favorite. John, just how good do you think this Purdue team is? You know, Purdue is good enough, again, to earn a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament and be a threat to go to a Final Four because Purdue right now has the favorite for the National Player of the Year award in Zach Eady. I've said it before. I've tweeted it before. I'm saying it again. Zach Eady is not Yao Ming, but he's the Yao Ming of college basketball. And you're seeing with increased usage that this is a player, and I talked to Matt Painter about this before the season, who is on a track to average 20 points and 10 rebounds this season in the pivot. But Ben, you know it, I know it, and America knows it. This is almost December. It is almost December on the final day of only November. John Rothstein, as always, we appreciate your time. More TMA up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out our two hours together here live on the morning after on this Wednesday on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 159. That's the home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM, all across the SportsGrid network as well. I am Ben Stevens. As we just concluded our conversation with John Rothstein, the focus for our best bet today is going to be in college hoops. Now, I love the board. I haven't narrowed down exactly which bet I love the most, if I'm being completely honest with you. There's a couple of spots all across the ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight that really stand out to me. So we'll break those games down and check in with the live odds update to the 2022 World Cup as well as we close out today's show. So before we say farewell and before we say goodbye, it's time for a college basketball best bet. It is time for bye-bye-bye. 
Now, I really think Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis make a statement tonight against North Carolina. The line yesterday was five and a half in favor of IU. It has worked now in favor of North Carolina as the Tar Heels get ready to hit the road to Bloomington, Indiana. They go against the Hoosiers. I will look for a Trace Jackson Davis points prop because I think he makes a statement against Armando Baycott tonight. To remind you that TJD is the Big Ten player of the year in the preseason for a reason. But if we look sides, I look at two underdogs tonight in the Big Ten Conference. Rutgers on the road against Miami in Coral Gables. Coral Gables, excuse me. The Scarlet Knights catching three and a half points. I think Rutgers could be primed for the upset in that matchup against the Hurricanes. And I think Ohio State keeps the game within margin against Duke, a defensive style of basketball tonight between the Blue Devils and the Buckeyes. It's a five and a half point spread. I think Ohio State keeps that game within margin. Also a check-in at the World Cup. Scoreless draws right now for both games at the break between Australia and Denmark and France and Tunisia in the final day of their group stage matches. France already has won the group. Thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday on the morning after. We'll be back tomorrow on a Thursday starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time on SportsGrid. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk then.